Coming up next is the People's Podcast. It's the podcast that's made possible by you, dear listener, by your ongoing support and by you lending me your ears every week for an hour or so. The show stays free and the momentum keeps rolling with your help. No, I'm not asking you to reach into your pocket unless that's where your phone is, in which case, please reach into your pocket or open your web browser, I'd be surprised if your laptop was in your pocket though, and go to comingupnext.com.au, hit the iTunes, Stitcher or Podbean button, subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating and an excellent, outstanding, marvellous review.
when we last spoke, you uh, feels like ages ago now, but you were uh, you were kind of in the throes of putting together not only the first ground up music festival, but also I think Bocante was about to kick off. Hmm. What's the experience been like for you of, of seeing this new band um, coming to life? Uh, well, I mean, it's starting over, you know, in certain ways. I mean, well, in most ways, I guess. Everything from, like, trying to convince people that the band is worth listening to or worth booking or worth promoting to to little tiny things, just like running a sound check, you know, with a different... It's like, it kind of reminds me of all the stuff that, that, that I had to think about when I was starting Snarky Bubby, you know, a decade and a half ago. But of course, it's not the exact same because this band has a running start. I mean, you know, when Snarky Bubby started, we were playing in really crappy little corner bars and it stayed like that for like nine years. So, yeah. I mean, this band is like starting where Snarky Bubby was like after a decade, you know. Right. But um, but still, in many ways, it is starting over and, and I enjoy that. And uh, for the most part, I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. What's the create? Does the creative process differ from Snarky Puppy? Yeah, definitely. Um, this band is, uh, it's technically my band, but Malika, the singer, and I write the music together. And that never happens in Snarky Puppy. We write the songs as individuals and then we bring them into the band. Yeah, right. So what's it been like for you then to see the music? for this kind of grow and see the band grow and create its own identity sort of away from Snarky Puppy? Yeah, I mean, I don't see the bands related in any way. I mean, they're very... I mean, they're related in that they're both kind of my thing, but but they reflect very different sides of my personality and, and musical interests. I mean, I would say that the... I mean, it took Snarky Puppy five or six years just to know what what the hell it was <laughs> yeah and i think this band started off conceptually much more together you know i mean i had the concept before i even had the players so when everyone was coming in we went into the studio to record to me i already knew what kind of band it was supposed to be so i was already like i was open to everyone's personal um kind of contributions and their ideas and 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 allow I was definitely allowing the music to flex but I knew what it was supposed to be with Snarky Puppy I mean it's not that I didn't know what it was supposed to be but what it is is very different from what it was you know from how it started I guess that's the same for any band but I guess I just feel like this is more together but then again I'm 33 I mean I was 18 when I started Snarky Puppy so I was like what the hell did I know, you know? yeah <laughs> so I, I think I mean well yeah and maybe when I'm 50 I'm gonna say I was 33 what the hell did I know but it, it uh for me it's much more I have a much clearer idea of the sound going in with with Bocante <laughs> begin the third year of Coming Up Next podcast by welcoming a familiar face back into the Chat Cave. Michael League was first on the show for episode 68, talking about how his band Snarky Puppy have become specialists at turning obstacles into opportunities. 
He's recently been in London with his new band Bocante and very kindly invited me to come backstage just before their first ever British gig. That song you heard at the top was Vian, and it's off Bocante's debut album Strange Circles, which you can buy if you head to bocante.com. And while you're out there supporting Ground Up's artists, Banda Magda have just released their second single, Tam Tam, uh, and their new album Tigre, uh, which will be out later in the year, is now available for pre-order. And so if you head to store.groundupmusic.net, you will get your copy in the mail. Now back to the beginning of year three as I welcome Michael League back to the Ramble Room. I think there's something in that kind of self-assuredness of maturity to be a little bit on the earnest side but I think when uh, you know when you hit a particular point in your kind of creative process or journey you become much more self-assured sure and I guess maybe more deliberate with choices that you're making Mm. yeah yeah I think so I mean it's all relative but but I I think about when Starkey Bobby made its first record I mean I immediately kind of didn't like it you know, I feel like I'm a fairly good judge of like, I mean, for myself anyway, on my, on my own, in my own creative endeavors, I feel like I'm a pretty accurate judge of myself. So when Snarky Puppy made its first record, I was like, this sounds like a first record. You know, I'm not going to want to listen to this in a month and a half or, <laughs> or a year and a half. Right. And with the Bocante record with Strange Circles, it's like when I listened to it for the first time, like mastered, I was like, this is a cool record. Like, I, I will be able to listen to this, you know. I didn't start that start feeling that way about Snarky Puppy Records until maybe our sixth, sixth or seventh record was the first time, maybe later, maybe the, like We Like It Here, I guess that was our eighth or something. Yeah, wow. That was like the first time we made a record where I was like, you know what, I think this is actually an okay record. I felt like everything else up until that moment was like a stepping stone. And hopefully with Bocante, we won't need any of those. Hopefully we can just start with a decent record. Yeah. And take it up from there. I mean, the record is amazing. Um, I I really enjoy listening to it, and I think the sound is—it's got that kind of snarky puppy largesse about it. Um, but it's 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 very different. It's much more. It's got a much more global kind of mm. flavor, I suppose. How significant is it for you? You know, just to kind of touch on that snarky puppy stuff, and coming into Bocante to really back your own ideas even if you feel like they are just sort of stepping stones to kind of persevere when you have a bigger vision i think you just have to know what it is there's no shame in you know doing something that in its in and of itself is not great you know as long as you don't confuse it with being great yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) you know what i mean it's like snarky bubby has done a lot of stuff a lot of weird gigs and a lot of records and you know i don't think we were under any illusion about what things were you know if we went out on tour opening for like some jam band or something it's like we know what it is we know we're not going to get famous from this thing we know it's going to be a certain kind of experience it's like and we always approach things that way and i think that it's very important to be honest with yourself and not to kind of live in a world of 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 illusion 
Um, and with this tour, I mean, there's some things that we're doing that are like, you know, really, I think that are going to be very, very helpful. Um, and some of them are, are going to be really fun and really easy and luxurious. And some of them are going to be really grindy and, and you just have to know what it is. What was the process like for you of, of bringing this band together? Because, I mean, you said you kind of, you knew what it was before you even had the players and you've got some really amazing players in this band. Um, what was the process of assembling that group? Well, I had the sound in my head, so that limits the players immediately. Um, you know, I was thinking I needed a person who is this or who can do this or sounds like this. Um, Malika was my first ask for vocals, largely because she epitomizes a lot of the like really the essence of what I was wanting to do. I wanted a band that is multicultural that is, but, but not limited to the music of their culture. you know, that's like open-minded and versatile. That's political or at least socio-political. I would maybe not political, but just concerned with social issues and that's powerful. And, um, and Malik is all those things, you know, I mean, she is a, a, a trilingual, incredibly, graceful and poised but also very strong female you know and immigrant you know I mean she's from Guadalupe she lives in Canada she's a great lyricist she's a an unbelievable singer and she's really a musician you know what I mean she she is not just like someone like a you know, someone who has a nice voice. Yeah, this yeah. is like a human being that understands harmony and rhythm and melody to the extent of any jazz tenor player or keyboardist or, you know, and she is a great keyboard player also, you know. So so she's a multi-instrumentalist. She's multilingual. She's a, a, an incredibly charismatic front person. And, um, and, and most of all, she's a great human being and a very, very close friend, like a sister to me. So... It was a good excuse for us to to work together, and I feel like that kind of same process was applied with every person in the band. It's like people that I really love, and 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 it's a real motley crew. I mean, it's you know we have like kind of three generations of musicians in the band. I think it's like five continents. Wow. You know, and and it's a weird group of people to be in the same state. You know, in the same room. I mean, we were checking in at the airport the other day, and Jamie Haddad, one of the percussionists. Paul Simon's guy for decades who's playing in the band came up to me and was like, this is a weird group of motherfuckers, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know it's, it's funny. And he's like, he's like, I don't even think we know yet. Like how, how deep this, like how weird this is, you know, like how yeah assorted the personalities are. And it was kind of a good point. It's like, well, we, I guess we will by the end of the tour. Must be some cool war stories shared in amongst the uh, the group coming from such diverse backgrounds. Sure. Yeah, we played a game today that we do in Snarky Puppy. It's really fun where we like, uh, it's kind of like a getting to know you test. You, you make everybody name a musician that's kind of like in the holy pantheon of artists that everyone loves and respects. And you make them name someone in that group that they just like can't stand. And that, but they're always, they're too embarrassed to mention to anybody else because they don't want to get crucified. That's really funny. So that was, we got to know some people, you know, it was like the Beatles, you know, it was like, 
what? You know, wow. Miles Davis came up. I mean, just hilarious. Right, exactly. That's yeah, the face yeah. you're supposed to make <laughs> when someone plays that game. It was really funny. Yeah. Billy Holiday. It was just people. We almost stopped the van a couple times. It was great. But then everybody starts kind of arguing, and and it's and then you really kind of get to you get to know each other and and in a in a in a really funny way. Good bonding exercise. I'm telling you. So once you've got this kind of group of people together, what's it like the the first time you you put the the coat on, so to speak, or you put the new suit on and you kind of step it into recording or out on stage with this new band? Well, we made the record almost a year before our first gig, so I mean the record came out. Well, well, it actually just came out a couple of weeks ago, but we tracked it in April of twenty sixteen. So playing the first gig what was in January was at our music festival at the Ground Up Music Festival and it was the first time I've been nervous going on stage I think in a decade. Mm. You know, I mean I mean I wasn't nervous nervous but I was like, oh man, shit. This might be terrible. You know, I mean I don't know because with Snarky Puppy there's such a safety net there's 14 years of playing together and nothing can can shake us you know our monitors can go out our equipment can break anything that could possibly happen has happened and we've gotten through it so we really understand how to work through things and with this band it's like totally brand new so we're going through it's like a baby yeah you're on that precipice yeah totally you're learning how to crawl you're learning how to walk learning how to eat learning to use the toilet you know whatever babies do it's like that's what we're doing in this band so uh at first, it was a little kind of like, oh, man, well, yeah, we are on the ledge. But now it's, I mean, the musicians are so awesome that it's like, it's totally happening now and everybody feels comfortable. Yeah. When you when you do set out for something like this, I know we chatted a little bit about this idea with Snarky Puppy, but what what are your kind of markers of success with something like this? If we can go on tour and... I, not lose money i'd say that's successful and afford to make new records that's the hardest thing because now people don't buy any music so it's like really yeah. difficult to get money together to make records because you used to make your next record with the money that you made from your first record you know and now that streaming has completely you know trashed that industry mm. it's like how do you get the money you know live well hopefully you're selling tickets so is that the way yeah. now that you monetize your art, I suppose, is through through the live shows and the merch that you sell at those events? Definitely. But, I mean, Bocante is not going to make any money on this tour. Yeah, yeah. It's the first tour. And I'm paying the musicians, you know, fairly. I mean, it's not great money, but it's like more money than I can afford to. So if you want to do it right, you know, I mean, there's a great Pomplamoose article, actually that they wrote about love those guys yeah so awesome and they were just talking about how they went on a tour and everything was sold out and they still lost money yeah wow you know and and people were like oh it's just bad tour management it's like no if you read what they wrote it's not bad tour management they made sure that everyone was comfortable they were on a tour bus they paid everybody fairly they made sure that there was like a great lighting engineer and two great sound engineers and you know if you want to do it right you're not really going to go home with a lot of money yeah you got to leave it on the stage I guess yeah and that's why i think it's kind of un 
well, it's just ignorant when people say, oh, yeah, you make your money on tour and then you use it to make records. It's like, no, 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 no business, no responsible business is going to sacrifice all of its profit from one revenue stream to to make up for a revenue stream that's completely dry, mm. right? And invest it in a product that yields no profit. You know, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. it's just silly. Like, why would you do that? But that's kind of the zone we're in right now, unfortunately. And there's this misconception, I suppose, amongst the sort of gen pop that, you know, through services like Spotify or whatnot, that artists are getting a revenue and people are paying, quote unquote, for their music. And I guess that's not the reality at, at the kind of bottom line. Yeah, I mean... It's not even close to the reality. Anyone who thinks that has never read anything mm. about music. But yeah, you're right. It is. A, I mean, I think it's assumed by the general population because why would it be legal if it was screwing everyone? Yeah. You know, I mean, there are people making money off of it, but it's only the people who are getting hundreds of millions of streams. And the reason why they're, you know, excited about that is because they're basically, they figured out a way to monetize something that was previously piracy right you know but you're it, the only way you're making any money off of those services is if you're generating massive numbers of streams which is why the labels are all right because they own all the catalog you know what i mean yeah, the yeah 30 million songs on spotify you know there's a significant number that are owned by each major record label so they're you know getting pennies but pennies on millions of songs so it's keeping the lights on mm. but if their catalog is four million songs and your catalog as alistair is 25 songs you know they're doing significantly better than you yeah i would say millions of times better than you mm. you know so that's the real uh that's the real issue i guess it's a whole nother can of worms but it is probably a whole nother podcast um and not to um sort of bad mouth you know any companies or anyone in that sort of manner i guess it, i'm kind of leading into an idea of uh shifting people's mindsets about music because perhaps there are people who do think well if i'm paying for this subscription then i am supporting the mm. artist but a more direct way i guess of supporting bands is to go to their shows and to buy physical yes. records and yeah. merchandise and that sort of thing if you're not paying money directly to a band then you're not giving them any money <laughs> yeah right you know, if you're paying money to a service, you're paying the service. If you go to see a concert, the band gets the money. If you buy physical, uh, especially from like the band's website or something like that, the band gets the money. Even if you buy the record on iTunes, the band is still getting 70% of what you're paying, which is great. Mm. You know, I mean, if I have a track that's $1 on iTunes and you buy it, I get 70 cents, which would take me... Well, let's see, it's $0.0004 a play on Spotify. Right. So that's three zeros before you even yeah, get, to, get the to the buck, you know? So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a bleak situation in terms of income, and that's why everybody now is saying, well, don't look at streaming as income. Look at it as advertising. You look yeah. at it as exposure. And then there's that whole joke of, like, exposure. Isn't that a formal cause of death? You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a minefield at this moment and, uh, the technology is developing much faster than the legislature and much faster than the public consciousness. 
and the people who have the most power to change public consciousness are the ones who are directly benefiting from those services existing. So we know artists are not the most prudent. Yeah, or just like proactive group of people. I mean, in terms of organization and, you know, like you're not going to see an artist march on Washington. It's like everyone's too busy trying to write a good song and mm. trying to survive on tour. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. Yeah, but I think, you know, like what you've done with uh, with Ground Up, you know, you're giving a platform to a lot of artists for exposure. And I'm sure there's a, a great benefit to you as well in terms of really establishing your own brand. Um, but I think there is a kind of, that, that kind of indie spirit, which, you know, is, it, it feels like there's a kind of shift, at least in a... Um, in a kind of our generational sense towards, you know, in film and in, I guess, not television so much as kind of web-based content, but also in music towards this kind of self-distribution model of, of going about things and saying, fuck it, I'm not, I'm not going to sit around and wait for the opportunity. I'm going to go and take it myself. Yeah, I mean, what do we have to gain, I guess? I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I think if we, if Ground Up is pushing out artists and by pushing out, I don't mean we're like creating them. I mean <laughs> yeah. like we're pushing out. Promoting them. Yeah, promoting them to the world. They're already doing their thing. We're just kind of like lumping them into our community and kind of helping to spread the word. Yeah, I mean we benefit because people think, oh, ground up. Cool. I trust that. It's good music. But it's, uh, you know, I mean it's, ground up doesn't make any money. I mean it's, it's just, it's only able to exist because it's. Actually, I don't know how it's able to exist. <laughs> I think just because everyone works so hard. Yeah. But those are, you know... I mean, you guys never stop. That's true, yeah. I mean, and these artists don't stop either, and they work super hard, and they deserve to be heard, and, and they are heard. That's the really beautiful thing about Ground Up, is that when we do promote an artist, people listen to, you know, that's half of the, you know, half of the, half of the game. The other half is figuring out how they can make enough money to survive. And that's the really tough part is there are times when we, you know, we went to South America with Magda from Banda Magda and she'd perform a song from one of her records and the whole crowd knew the song and everyone's singing along, but no one's ever bought it. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, she had a room of 5,000 people singing the lyrics to a song that had generated $0 in that country. Mm. You know, it's, it's quite a, a paradigm. It's, it is quite a paradigm. And we're, Ground Up is trying to develop a thing. We're basically ceasing being a label starting next year because it's just pointless to yeah. try to get people to pay for something that they can get for free everywhere. So we're trying to design this interface that will be basically like a kind of like a Disneyland for people who love music, like a yeah, awesome a site that creates exclusive content that you, you know, so it's really not available anywhere else, and you pay like a subscription to it. Um, and it'll be, you know, things across the world of music. So interviews, podcasts, performances, you know, features on venues or, or artists or, or cities or yeah. music scenes or whatever. And just kind of like, so we'll have a bunch of content producers and, and we'll actually pay artists for just like, you know, if they contribute something, we just kind of write them a check, which would be the equivalent of 28 months of, spotify payouts you know or something <laughs> which which you know 
admittedly is very low. <laughs> it's just a couple hundred bucks or something. But you know, that's the, kind of the idea. Yeah, we'll that see if it works. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, we gotta make sure we can get an investor to put it together, and mm. it makes me wish I was alive in 1968. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, so simple, right? Yeah, man, it's the same in the world of film. Yeah. And increasingly more so right now that you have like Netflix and all that kind of stuff. And Yeah. But again, that's probably a whole different uh, podcast. And I am very aware of uh, the fact that you're going on stage in a matter of hours. So I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, I am curious, what was it like winning the, winning the third Grammy? It was cool. I wasn't there because we were at our music festival. But we sent Spot, one of our drummers, and, and our two recording engineers to accept it which was really nice actually to like watch looking at the photos i was like man that's really cool that they were there to hang and accept it because recording engineers just are always mm. hiding in the shadows you know <laughs> um it was good i mean it was a really good feeling to win for a record that didn't have any special guests and that wasn't a special project it was just like us you know culture vulture was a real snarky puppy record yeah the previous two grammys were for one with a guest vocalist and one with the symphony orchestra so it, it felt good it was special yeah awesome if anyone out there is uh listening and is interested in purchasing physical copies hey. or uh, even digital copies directly where might they do that i mean where you would do it for any, any band i would say just go to the website snarkypuppy.com bocontake.com you know, you can order. We, we've gone through great pains to set up stores like uh, like we have a European store and a U.S. store. So we have a warehouse with people that physically pack and ship it to you for as cheap as possible. We set one up in Ireland that ships to the whole EU for like two euros instead Amazing. of paying the 11 euros from the U.S. or whatever, you know. And so make them work. Yeah. Make those, make those guys work. Make them work for the two euros. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I end uh, every conversation with the same question, and you're actually the first person I've ever asked this question to twice, so I've had to figure out a way of carefully framing it. Uh, the question is, what makes you silly? And uh, when I had you on the first time, your answer was good music, and then you told me what music was currently making you silly. So I'm curious to know what music is currently making you silly. Um, a record by this guy, Omer Farouk Tekbalek, who's like a half Egyptian, half Turkish multi-instrumentalist. It's called Alif, A-L-I-F. I think it's called Alif, A Love Supreme. It's really crazy. Jamie hit me to it a while ago. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, he plays like everything on this record. And then this guy, um, Steve Shaheen, who's the uh, a good friend of Jamie's and... Um, a really wonderful percussionist. So I think played with Paul Simon as well, who's doing like all the percussion stuff. And then Omer is doing all the winds and stringed instruments. And, and it's like crazy. Cause it has, it's this weird combination of like, you know, what I guess you could describe as Turkish or Egyptian music, but it has like crazy synth textures and like really nice bass stuff. And it's a very interesting record. Yeah. Awesome. Go home and check those out. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michael. You got it, man. Thanks.
Pour ça, 